Right, here we are. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, uh, November 1st, 2017 edition. Uh, tonight we are joined by Chester Lampkin uh, from KSDK in St. Louis and guest panelists with us, uh, back with us for uh, another show. We didn't scare him off the first time. Uh, Bobby Stilwell, University of St. Louis meteorology student. Bobby, welcome tonight. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me back, guys. I guess I didn't wear up my welcome too much, huh? No, no, we liked you. We was afraid that, you know, we may have run you off. But but thanks for joining us tonight. How was your Halloween? Uh, went pretty good, you know. Had a had an exam to deal with, but aced it. Good deal. That's what we like to hear. So uh, we welcome Bobby, and Bobby will be uh, joining in with us tonight. So uh, before we uh, start the show tonight, let's uh, go over a few of the housekeeping rules. You guys know the deal. This is a live broadcast. So if you want to interact tonight with us, uh, you can do that uh, many different ways. You can... Uh, contact us on uh, Twitter at Carolina WX Group, or you could uh, make a, a comment or, or suggestion or whatever on our Facebook uh, page or our Facebook Live or our Periscope or uh, YouTube page. I think I hit all of those. And if you are listening to our podcast, first of all, you can't see uh, James dressed up as Kermit the Frog. But second of all, if you want to interact with our guests, we'll, be, uh, we'll let them uh, give out their social media accounts towards the end of the show, and that way if you have any questions and you're listening maybe a couple of days from now on the podcast, you can uh, direct those questions directly to them. So I think that is all of the housekeeping rules. We are going to kind of switch it up tonight because Chester is a morning meteorologist. That means he has to get to bed early. So I'm going to hand it over to Ricky Matthews. And Ricky, I'll let you start the interview, and we'll kind of uh, do all of our roundtable discussion stuff like that towards the end of the show. All right. Thank you, Scotty. Yeah, we're excited to have Chester join us tonight because I think he's probably one of the most interesting meteorologists in terms of diversity currently in the United States because he's seen weather all around the world, you could say. Uh, Chester is currently a meteorologist in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Now he joins us at, uh, from KSDK to where he used to be in New Zealand. So, Chester, you've been everywhere, it seems. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I apologize in advance. I, we were having some technical issues with my mic. I don't know if you guys can hear me. Can you guys hear me? We can hear you. It's a little static. Okay, great. Work with it, so. Yeah, so sorry about that. Um, anyway, so yeah, I've sort of been all over the place, as you mentioned, uh, Ricky. So the story with me is um, I'm a St. Louis native, so this is my hometown. I'm back home after a two-year stint abroad, and uh, it's good to be home, but uh, I do miss New Zealand. It was such a fantastic place, and uh, you know, it's nice to not have to uh, figure out whether anti or uh, anti- Cyclonic vorticity or cyclonic vorticity is the right kind of vorticity now. So here we are. And so, you know, kind of going from St. Louis, how did you get the jump and how did you get the, the job opportunity uh, in New Zealand? Yeah, so um, it's really interesting. Uh, a lot of people will ask me that question. And I mean, what it came down to was that I saw a job posting online somewhere. And I'm not entirely sure if I can recall where I saw it. Um, but I had no, I had no connections to New Zealand. I actually ended up knowing someone from my university, St. Louis University, down there. Um, but that was after I had applied for the position and after I had interviewed. I didn't even realize that I lived there, so I really had no connections. I just saw the job posting. I think it might have been on the AMS job board, to be honest with you. Um, and the rest is history. Like they, I applied for it. They called me back, you know, within a, a month or so, and. We just kept going back and forth. It was a uh, there's no in-person interview, kind of expensive to do that. But we did a lot of Skype interviews, and um, 
it's probably why I have no earbuds now because I haven't done any any earbuds <laughs> in a couple years. I haven't needed them. So uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's the story on that. Talk about the uh, the Met service and kind of how broadcasting works in New Zealand. I, I know there's like some national broadcast networks, right? Or the local broadcast networks, and then Met service does their own stuff too. Right. So the way it works down there is um, the the Met service is a state owned enterprise. So um, you know, in the United States, we have a lot of divisions divisions between um, the private sector and the public sector. Uh, in a lot of places, that is not the case. And, you know, you can argue for better, for worse, whatever. The situation with New Zealand is they're a small country, less than 5 million people. Um, so to have a National Weather Service, they have to be able to do as much as they can. So they function as a state-owned enterprise. They're owned by the government, but they have to make a profit. And so they do business throughout the country, but they also do business elsewhere as well. Um, so I worked for the, the Met Service. I was their media meteorologist. Um, I did, you know, broadcast broadcast quality videos for their website, and we farmed it out to other media properties um, that weren't owned by us. But also, um, I worked in the private sector of the company doing projects. Um, I got to do do a couple conferences, supporting the the sell the, the sales element of some of our media products as well. And so. And the Met service then wasn't live per se; it was more recorded right. stuff. Yeah, everything was almost everything was recorded. Um, I did do some live weather uh, on occasion, uh, mostly at conferences. Actually, um, I got to do um, the IBC conference, which is in Amsterdam. If anyone is in, you know, in broadcast, might be familiar with that. It's it's a trade show that is more on the technical side, um, but I got to do their live television broadcast for two two years. Um, and I, you know, I did other, you know, broadcasts. I did Facebook Live, et cetera, et cetera, media stuff. But there are two TV stations that have traditional newscasts in New Zealand. And not only did they have weather forecasters or weathercasters, if you will, because they only had one meteorologist between the two of them. Um, that's another story. But um, they, um, they were also our clients too. So we provided them. We were their graphics vendor and their weather data. A provider so, so much different than here in the united states where you know there's yeah. mainly two main graphic providers a few other smaller ones out there but right. uh, kind of just you guys were the source for most of the information and i graphics that's correct um there are so you know between the two broadcasters there was actually a third broadcaster that was sort of partnered with one of the other two uh, so basically we provide graphics for those three and then in that part of the world um we had almost all of the broadcasters in Australia. We had broadcasters throughout Asia. Uh, we even had a couple. We actually had the BBC uh, up until I think the beginning of next year. I think the BBC contract comes to an end. So uh, if you watch BBC now, that's the company I used to work for provides them with their graphics. So talk about being a forecaster in New Zealand. Some of the, the challenges, some of the uh, things that you may have to think of differently. Is there a lot of stuff that's different? Yeah, um, there's a lot of things. Um, for those who aren't familiar with um, island meteorology, I mean, they're two big islands. Uh, so uh, everything is driven by that southern ocean. Um, and it's, I, I think it's most comparable to the Pacific Northwest, United States, or Southwest Canada, British Columbia area, that area near the coast. 
um, because you're very close to a, a cold cor current um, ocean, an ocean with a cold current, if you will, uh, a very large amount of water, um, you know, surrounding you, even more so in New Zealand. And also you're in the 40, in the roaring 40s, you're in the 40 degree, you know, latitude. And so as a result, um, you get wicked weather systems. And it's, you know, it is, it's very much the uh, mid-latitude weather systems that you get in North America, but without the continental elements. So uh, it's incredibly different, but you can also get the remnants of tropical systems, um, which would happen, you know, once or twice a year. Um, we had to deal with volcanic ash because we had active volcanoes in New Zealand. They still do, of course. Um, I, I mean, just very interesting elements that you wouldn't typically see in in a continental environment or in much of North America, period. And so did you have to go back and, and kind of learn different things or did you have to do a lot of research on the job to kind of pick up on these different things? Or is it kind of like when you move to a new city, you're still learning the local kind of aspects of the weather? Sort of both. Um, so I, having moved around the country a little bit, even though I'm from Missouri, you know, I've, I've worked in different places in Missouri. I've worked in Colorado and Texas. You know, there's always little nuances you have to to, to learn. Hey, you know, with Colorado, I lived in West Texas too, uh, and mountainous terrain in both locations. So I'd been somewhat familiar with mountain meteorology, but you really need it in uh, New Zealand because you've got mountains. You also have the ocean. So you've got, you've got something I never dealt with before, maritime anything like i've never that was brand new to me i've never lived by the ocean or any large body of water like that um so i had to i had to pick stuff up on the fly um they trained me for a few weeks i also they also were being a national weather service uh you know like a you know one of those wmo certified weather service off uh, you know i mean organizations if you will we also were constantly trained there's all me, meteorologists who are always doing presentations um, they're always doing research. We had a research department. Um, so we were constantly doing courses, short courses, long courses. Um, there was some overseas forecasters that I joined um, with during some of their courses. So, uh, you know, constantly learning. Um, and there's always something new because, you know, having grown up in the Midwest and in the United States, like everything was new for me. Um, so there was a lot of a lot. There's a big learning curve, but a lot of the basics of meteorology, of course, are the same. Like I said, the, the mid latitude cyclones, uh, what happens when tropical systems become extra tropical, um, you know, basic stuff you learn about, you know, the sea breeze, uh, you know, convergence because of the sea breeze. You know, we have long peninsulas in the country as well that would create those types of situations and stuff that you would learn in, about me mountain meteorology. It's the same things that applied there. Um, in New Zealand. And so I followed the Met Service on Facebook. I followed you when you were down in New Zealand as well. Talk a yeah. little bit about how they communicate and if there's any communication differences, um, watches and warnings, are those a thing in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, uh, they are. Um, well, I wouldn't say they're not the, they're not the same as ours, though. Um, so they basically have two types of weather advisories. And there's just that, just the watches and warnings. There's no advisories. There's no, there's no other levels of that. Um, so as a result, you know, it was a, that was something also new. I had to kind of like forget what I knew about how the National Weather Service in the United States worked, and it was different. And they basically had like four categories, really, of watches and warnings. And there are three main ones, which is wind, snow, and 
heavy rain. Those are basically it. Uh, severe weather did occur, and they would occasionally get tornadoes. Uh, so they would have severe thunderstorm watches and severe thunderstorm warnings. But there was no real tornado warning. There were no, uh, you know, the National Weather Service has dozens of advisories, aerial flood this and, you know, snow advisory that. And we didn't have that. It was very simplified. Uh, for, I mean, for better or for worse. I mean, the weather is far more nuanced than what we had it as, um, you know, displayed as in New Zealand. So, um, you know, they were toying with the idea of going to something different. Um, and eventually, I think the idea was to move to um, something similar to what the National Weather Service does. The uh, I forget what they call it now. The um, the you know the watch boxes used to be countywide. I can't. Remember. That's how long I've been in TV weather. Like I I, I do remember that. That was like the start of my career. Um, yeah, but now you know they've been shrunk down to the the, the actual area of concern. Um, right now in England, they cover large swaths of of the territories. Um, that they have there because it's hard to be, they don't have the technology to pinpoint exactly, you know, this is that these geolocations are going to be under, you know, this sort of like watch or warning, but that's coming. But uh, we take it for granted in the United States. We've had that for years. And because of uh, our great technology here in America, I mean, you can ping people's phone and say, Hey, you are under a warning. And then as soon as they drive out of that warning box, they're not in that warning box anymore. I mean, that's phenomenal stuff that you don't see everywhere in the world, and we shouldn't take that for granted, by the way. What was your primary you know, instrumentation? I mean, are there weather radars all covering New Zealand, or are there sparse yeah. areas? Okay, so I'll start off with this. Um, they have weather radars. Uh, out of the radars they had, I think they only had three dual pole, but the fact that they had dual pole radar was amazing. Um, because, like I said, New Zealand is a very small country. Um, they don't, they're not flush with cash like we are in America. Uh, so they, you know, yeah, you, can, you, gotta, you gotta do what you can. So they had uh, radars on both islands. Um, there was a lot of the rain shadow problems that you get in, um, um, in New Zealand because of the mountains. Um, big problems with that. Um, there's some, there's one major city, Dunedin, which basically, except for the highest part of a nearby radar, the highest part of the beam of a nearby radar, they really didn't have radar coverage. So any kind of low level or mid-level precipitation just did not show up. And so you, you rely heavily on uh, ASOS and different types of automated weather stations. Fortunately, they did have a lot of those, um, the multiple networks of those um, in the more sparsely populated areas or areas where literally nobody lived, there was nothing. Uh, you just had no idea what was happening in those areas. And that was just a matter of fact. And it was, it's just, that's how life was down there. Cause it is so rural uh, four and a half million people in a country, the size, I would say almost the size of California. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually larger than people expect. So we've got the radars. I've uh, got the weather stations that you, you get, you get ground truth from people, you know, through social media, uh, or, you know, through different observing networks. Web cameras are huge, uh, especially at all the different airports. We had access to all of those being the National Weather Service provider. Um, and uh, HIMOR-8, for those who are familiar with GO-16, HIMOR-8 is basically uh, the same thing as GO-16, except for the Japanese Meteorological Agency had the technology launched out first and it's been operational for over a year now. Uh, and it is, you know, as soon as like go 16 came to the United States, you know, you saw how 
all the weather geeks in the U.S. were like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And I'm like, I know. I've had this in New Zealand for the last almost two years. And when I was living, I was living there for two years. And um, uh, just like the power of that satellite and the power of the Go 16, I mean, they're very similar satellites. It's just amazing. And it's just astounding how much information we get from that. Because between New Zealand and Australia, for those who aren't familiar with the geography, because it's so far from America, there's a huge sea, the Tasman Sea. It's massive. And uh, as a result, you get you can get a weather system from Australia, you know, which is a three-hour flight away, over well over a thousand kilometers. And to get to New Zealand, it, you know, it could take a day or two, and you don't know what's happening with that system other than what's what the satellite is telling you, and maybe the occasional ship. So, Chester, I wanted to back up uh, just a second and kind of give our viewers, uh, paint a picture of the climate for New Zealand. It, it seems, it always seems to me to be more of a tropical type of environment when you think of New Zealand, you think you might think of that if you live in the United States, but uh, I think it's a little bit more subtropical to sort of an Arctic zone. I mean, it's, it's in a cool, relatively cool body of water, correct? Yeah, it is. So as I mentioned earlier, the Tasman Sea, uh, that portion of the Tasman, which puts up against the western side of New Zealand, it's a cold current, um, and they're at the very bottom of the country, the very south of New Zealand, is the Southern Ocean. So you can you get air masses that originate from the Antarctic sometimes, especially in the winter time. So it's cold. It's very cold. Uh, they have ski resorts. Uh, if you want to go skiing in June, July, August, that's where you go because they have some of the best in the world because they're so far south. Um, and it gets very cold, especially in the South Island, also in the North Island. Uh, but it is, it is a cool but wet climate. So as I mentioned earlier, it's similar to that of, of I would say maybe like Vancouver, um, Vancouver, Canada, British Columbia, or Seattle, uh, without the possibility of getting to like, well, in most places, 90 plus is like out of the question. Um, so like, for example, um, most of the country is in that cool and uh, temperate um, climate zone. The far north is subtropical, but that's it. So there's no tropical. It's not tropical at all. Um, and so when tropical systems, for example, come down to New Zealand, they're always extra tropical because the country is so far south and the water, the ocean water is so cool. Uh, and the warmest, by the way, that the ocean water gets, and you know, don't quote me on this, but it's in the range of the low 60s in the late summer, and that would be basically March. That's the warmest time that the water, the, the warmest time of year for the water, and that's only in the far north. In the south, the water temperatures never get above 60. I mean, maybe 58 to 60 at most. So it looks beautiful. It is beautiful. It's honestly one of the most beautiful places on earth, but it is not tropical. And I think a lot of people have to Bear that in mind if you ever make a trip down there uh, in, in the summer or wintertime, you want to make sure you have layers because, especially in the wintertime, it may not get below freezing very often uh, at the surface, you know, but in the mountains it does, it snows. And on the surface, you know, down on the sea level, um, it may not get below freezing there, but that wind could be bitter cold because the origin of that air is from the Antarctic. I mean, oftentimes with these, what they call southerly changes down there. So that's pretty, that must be pretty wild because we have, uh, in the United States, we're used to the jet stream dipping down from the north and we have you know, the polar jet. So what, 
right. it's coming up from the south there. So what do you call that? I mean, is there, is there a specific uh, sort of, I don't know, nomenclature you have for how you describe weather coming up from the south? Come southerlies, uh, southerly or southerly changes. Um, and, uh, you know, that's sort of like, in, you know, in the United States, that's something that's like vernacular and just like phrases you would hear like from the old days, if you will, you know, a northerly change in the wind. That, that originates from the English way of talking about meteorology because, it, you know, it used to be a British colony. It's part of the Commonwealth still. And um, a lot of a lot of folks who work and live down there are from the UK, specifically England, but to a lesser extent, Scotland and Northern Ireland and Wales. So, yeah, they call them southerly changes. Um, so, you know, they there's no, I mean, sometimes you may hear something like a, you know, a southerly buster or something like that. But really, an Antarctic change, especially uh, Antarctic air mass, especially in the wintertime, it's just a, a really deep, cold southerly change. And I, I can assure you, uh, they are, the winds are bitter cold, bitter cold. So what you're telling me is that when I sent our reporter out from New Zealand, she was from New Zealand, she came here, and I sent her out in like the negative wind chills, and she was complaining, I should have told her yeah. that it was just like home. Yeah, exactly. Just You should have told her. It was just like living in Invercargill, and she might have understood that. Invercargill, by the way, is like the furthest south uh, city of significance in New, New Zealand. And I don't know what the latitude is. I, I'm assuming it's 45 south or something. It's pretty far down there, to say the least. Gotcha. I think uh, Jared had a question. Yeah. So, Chester, um, I know that they've had a couple really uh, nasty earthquakes in the last few years down uh, yes. down in New Zealand. And, and, and what is uh, what is what was what was the uh, Met Office down there charged with, uh, if anything, around uh, earthquake response and um, disseminating alerts there? Yeah. So, uh, like the United States, you know, it's really uh, almost completely unrelated. There was no there was no sort of like earthquake or you know seismic division or anything within uh, the New Zealand Med Service. Uh, all we did was provide support for uh, earthquake recovery. Um, there was some major damage um, in November of last year uh, due to an earthquake uh, near Kaipura, New Zealand, and that quake um, pretty much was a, a massive landslide. Uh, and a lot of uplift to one of the one of the seismic zones, which created a situation where there was this uh, in a city, not a large city, two thousand or so people, but a city that was a very a very busy um, tourist spot as well. That was completely cut off from the rest of the country. They only had basically three roads, I believe, one state highway, and certainly at least no more than three or four roads coming into the city and all of them were covered by landslides uh, because of the earthquake. So we provided um, assistance with weather forecasting for recovery efforts, especially with the Ministry of Transport and the military, the New Zealand military and anyone else who was, who needed help with that. That was like the large, the biggest um, involvement we had uh, with anything related to uh, any earthquake I dealt with. And, for the record, I did feel that earthquake, and it was terrifying, to say the least. What is the most terrifying, besides an earthquake, uh, weather experience you had, or what was the hardest thing to forecast? Um, okay, so I, 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 full disclosure, um, I didn't have to do a lot of my own forecasting, thankfully, because we had a, a room full of 
meteorologists. I never worked with so many meteorologists in my entire career because there was just, I worked in the forecast room and there was just tons of them. Um, so as a result, I didn't have to do a lot of forecasting myself uh, other than, you know, occasional here or there. Um, but I think some of the most difficult thing, one of the most difficult thing uh, was forecasting, even though we were indirectly forecasting for it, uh, was Tropical Cyclone Winston. And for those who aren't familiar, Winston um, had a landfall in Fiji. Um, I think this would have been now, that would have been 2016. And um, the, the tropical cyclone was, it sort of meandered throughout the Southern Pacific for days. And I'm not kidding. If you just look at the historical path of the storm, I'm not kidding when I say this, that it sort of just kind of, moved back and forth uh, among the uh, the convergence zone. They don't call it the intertropical convergence zone, but it's similar to, similar to that in South Pacific. It kind of meandered uh, through that and then just kind of moved around Fiji and just sort of threatened the, the island country multiple times before, they, before it finally had a direct hit. And, and eventually the storm did go far enough west to be picked up by the westerlies, like you would see a storm here in, north, in the northern hemisphere. And it curved down, moved south towards New Zealand, became extra tropical, and impacted the eastern part of, of our country. But uh, it, it, the storm was around for a couple of weeks. And as a result, you know, there are multiple times where the models were to say, hey, I'm going to take this storm and directly impact Auckland, which is the largest city in New Zealand, a city of well over a million people. And, you know, it, it could be, that could be devastating. Someone's pulled up the path there. And, uh, I mean, that's it's a perfect example of, how crazy the weather can be in other parts of the world. You can see the storm so on the left side of the screen there. You see uh, Port Vila, which is part of Vanuatu. So luckily, Winston missed Vanuatu, went south. You see it curved east and then moved past Tonga. It had major impacts on Tonga. And then it, as soon as it got towards Niue there on the right, it just got caught in the, you know, the trade winds, and then it went back west. And then it finally made a landfall in Fiji. Then it turned south, and then it went extra tropical. It looks like it went just past 25 south or right around 25 south. Uh, you can see New Zealand's not even on that map, but the storm did make it there as a, as a remnant low, if you will. Do you guys have issues with storm surge when these strong lows come near, come in? Yeah, big time. And um, it's not it's not even just associated with, uh, you know, with strong lows. It doesn't even have to be strong. Um, if you have the, the winds are favorable to or unfavorable I should say for to particular coastline depending on the where the line the low and the high set up you can get devastating uh, coastal erosion as, as a result of just even weak areas of low pressure um, and so yeah it's a big it's a big problem um, and you know on the side note I'm not going to pontificate on climate change and things like that but New Zealand is also very susceptible to climate change um, and sea level rise. And they have seen so many, so much evidence of, of sea level rise already. And almost all of their major cities are on a coast. Um, I mean, where I lived in, in Wellington, which is the capital, which is where the New Zealand Med Service is based, you can see the ocean from almost everywhere in the city. So talk about a threat, you know, I mean, that was coastal flooding and erosion. I mean, they're very real, real, real problems that that were a major problem in uh, New Zealand, but also uh, the the threat of tsunamis too, because again, coastal country.
Sure. How are people in terms of, you know, kind of adapting to that threat of sea level rise and climate change? Is it something that's talked about or debated as much as it is here? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's an, it, it is almost a com like completely the platform of um, one of the political parties. They have a Green Party down there, which actually for the first time they have seats in, in their parliament um, after a recent election. But at, when I was living there, they didn't have that much power. Um, but yeah, they, um, they, that's one of their big platforms being, you know, the Green Party, quote unquote, um, is climate change and being eco-friendly, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it's something that's talked about by all the political parties. And it is something that is recognized as happening, is real, um, by the, the, the far left, the center left party, the center right party, and the far right party. I mean, it's not a political issue in a in the way it is in the United States. It is a political issue in that the, the left parties say, oh, those right parties, they're not going far enough. They're not doing enough for climate change. While the parties on the right saying, yes, we're doing all we can. We're doing more than what we need to be doing because we're just New Zealand. We're a tiny country. We don't produce that much pollution. But the fact is that they do produce pollution, um, you know, especially from auto exhausts and, you know, different types of vehicles. Agriculture is big down there, so methane and carbon dioxide, et cetera, um, is, is produced in large numbers because of, you know, the large amount of cows they have in the country and other types of agriculture. Um, the one thing I will give them props for is that they are, they don't, they don't have a lot of coal or oil power. Um, it is, hydroelectric is big, and so is wind energy there, and I think they have a goal to eventually be completely free of fossil fuel sources of energy, at least. Not the cars, but, you know, sources of energy sometime in the next, you know, couple of decades, which is, is, is doable in a country that size, you know. Um, on the downside, of course, energy is more expensive, but then again, that's also economies of scale. New Zealand's a country of 4.5 million people. So, uh, Chester, I'd like to uh, go back to something you said uh, near the beginning, kind of talking about sure. um, about Met Services and and how it's it's different than here in the United States. You're kind of providing the the uh, forecasting for down there, but you're you also have kind of revenue sources through um, you know providing media forecasts and so forth. So, is media the largest thing? Maybe the largest uh, area that you serve, and are there other um, sectors that you provide um, specific forecasts for? Okay, so I think I lost you for about the last 30 seconds there. Um, uh, can you repeat that end part of the question again? Sure. Sorry about that. Um, so, okay. No, I'll, I'll shorten it. So are there other sectors that besides the media industry that uh, are yeah. revenue generating for Met Services? And what are they? Yeah, big time. Yeah, that's, so that's a, good, that's a great question. So again, being a state-owned enterprise, uh, the Met Service, they, they need to make a profit. Um, so media was just one of the many sectors of their business. Um, Marine forecasting, uh, for obvious reasons, being an island country, um, they had contracts with um, oil and gas companies um, in Australia and Southeast Asia, uh, contracts with uh, shipping companies, and um, all sorts of anything with marine interest. Um, they had contracts with those types of companies in New Zealand, Australia, and parts of Asia. Um, they, we did a lot of consulting work for those types of companies. We also uh, did consulting work um, for airlines. We had a contract with Air New Zealand. Um, we handled meteorology for all the airports in New Zealand as well. 
Um, there was also, um, there's big business um, in the UK um, with actually, they actually did consulting with a lot of different companies. One of the more unique ones was a, a couple grocery store chains in the UK. Uh, we had an office in, we have an office in Reading, you know, I, um, in, which is right outside of London. So um, we, we had media contracts with a couple other television properties throughout uh, England. I think they had a contract in Finland. Um, they had one in Ireland. Uh, they had one in um, the Netherlands and I think one in France and just in different parts of, of Europe. Um, they used to have some contracts in the United States, but they pulled out. Um, and I think those were all consulting type meteorology contracts. Um, and I believe that covers the full gambit. I think it's mostly marine meteorology and um, media and aviation. Yeah. So, I mean, all the main sectors of meteorology and, you know, oil and gas, obviously, big in the United States. It's big everywhere in the world. And uh, that was, um, there's a lot of oil drilling going on uh, in New Zealand, Australia, Southeast Asia. And those are some of the bigger contracts, though. They had a big contract with Shell when I was working there, too. So we got about 10 minutes or so left here. Uh, I kind of just want to talk about just New Zealand in general for a moment. Or sure. Two. Yeah. Talk yeah. about the country. I mean, talk about what makes it great. I, I, I saw a story, I think it was CBS uh, 60 Minutes or something about how so many people from America are trying to move to New Zealand uh, in the recent years. Talk just a little bit about the country and your experience. That's funny you mentioned that because I think I saw that same story because um, they interviewed Sam Neill who is uh, an actor from New Zealand. A lot of people don't know he's from New Zealand, but um, pretty famous guy. He was in Jurassic Park and you know, a bunch of other movies. Um, uh, so New Zealand is, is very unique. First off, they love Americans. You know, not, now you have to say, you know, I say that as a blanket statement. There's a lot of people who are like, what's wrong with America? And I'm like, you know, I mean, we're people like you guys. We, we do things. We do whatever we, we, we do what we do. It's America. It's how we are. We're, we're, we're unique. We're different. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of Americans who are afraid to go abroad because they think, oh, everyone hates America. They hate our ways. I mean, that's not really true. I've been to a few countries, not a lot, but a few. And they, everywhere I go, I don't have any problems. But New Zealand is very American friendly. Like they, uh, if, if you go there, pretty much what you see in America, you can pretty much get to a lesser extent in New Zealand. So... If you walk out on the street in New Zealand, the cars, you know, they drive on the left because, you know, the UK messed them up. You know, they're doing that wrong. But everything else is right. The coffee's great. I mean, the hipster scene is just like you would see in America. The music is the same. You know, the indie rock, the alternative rock, the punk rock, uh, hip-hop, R&B, you know, country music. I mean, everybody, like, big-name acts would tour in New Zealand, especially in Auckland, um, the stuff you'd see in America, our television programs, Netflix, all those things exist in New Zealand. High-speed internet, 4G, you know, phone service. They have better 4G service than we do in America uh, for, you know, based on some speed tests that I remember reading. And I thought, well, that's pretty wild. But, you know, our network is much larger because we're a much bigger country, obviously. Uh, but, like, the things you want, for the most part, you can get. There were things you can't get, like Amazon. <laughs> Amazon is not a thing in New Zealand. You can order things from Amazon, sure, but you would pay large tariffs and the shipping fees would be outrageous. You know, that's just one example. 
but you sort of adjust. Like if you if you visit there for a long period of time, you live in New Zealand, you just learn to live without that sort of thing. And when you come back to America, or you go to Australia, you go to Europe or Japan or wherever you go, you know, on vacation or holidays, they call it. You know, when you need to buy a new iPhone, that's when you do it. Like I bought a new iPhone when I came back to the States because it's cheaper to buy them there than they are in New Zealand because they're hundreds of dollars more. Um, so, and I bought a lot of clothes because clothes are cheaper in America, but just as well, you can go to H&M or the Levi's store in New Zealand or Topshop, you know, stores that you can get in the UK or in America. A lot of those stores also existed in, uh, in New Zealand. Life is very similar though. You know, the food is great. Um, the food scene in the major cities are the same. The, the, uh, the burgers are amazing. If you like burgers, because they have the agriculture is there. Um, you can go to the beach like you can in many, many places in America. Uh, they have mountains like many places in America. You want to go skiing, you can go surfing, you can go to the beach. It's a little colder, but you can do that. All the food you want for the most part. Couldn't find good Mexican food. That was really hard. Uh, they need to step up their game down there. But it's hard to get the ingredients. I mean, there were things that, w- that were hard to get. And, of course, I missed America. I love America, being an American and all. So there's there, there, this little bit of give and take. I mean, you're going to move to a beautiful place that basically looks like the Lord of the Rings, like the green parts of Lord of the Rings. Basically, that's what New Zealand is. I mean, that's uh, almost as accurate as a portrayal of the country as I can ever say about anything. You know, it is so beautiful. It's, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Robert, thank you. Question. I lost you there. You, did you throw it to me? Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay, Chester. Out of everything you learned here at SLU, what is the one thing you use every day when you do the weather and in New Zealand and here back in St. Louis again? Uh, okay, so for those who don't know, um, who may be just tuning in or whatever, um, so I went to Salish University, which is where uh, Bobby goes to school now. Um, and I graduated back in 2005. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I learned so much through that meteorology program. Um, probably the thing that is that I probably take away most is the stuff I learned from Jim Moore, who has since passed away. Um, he passed away, I think, in 2007. So amazing synoptician. And in, in broadcasts, Synoptic and mesoscale meteorology are your two of your best friends, and um, the stuff I learned in synoptic, where is just like invaluable. And I know it's kind of a big statement to say, but um, the stuff applied to everywhere. Like what I did here in Missouri, what I've done in Texas, Colorado, and in New Zealand, um, which is, I guess it's good. I never took any tropical weather courses that I haven't really needed as much because I've never lived in a tropical place. Even in New Zealand, I still do live in a tropical place. Speaking good question. Of, speaking of tropical, how is it putting up with uh, Craig Moeller? Craig used to work in my hometown market. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, so I, I had uh, went over and you know chatted with Craig a few times. He's worked at WBC in Norfolk, so. Ah, okay. Well, excuse me. I um, Craig is great. So it's interesting. I've worked with tons of meteorologists, but Craig is very enthusiastic, and that's what I like about him. Like he really gets into whatever he's doing. Um, I don't see him very often. <laughs> that's the other thing, like him being the, the night guy. But I do talk to him about once or twice a week, and so it's good working with him. Um, I think we have a good team here, 
And if you're ever in St. Louis, I know that NWA is going to be here next year. You guys need to hit us up, and you get to meet the whole gang. And I'd love to meet all of you guys soon. We'll take you up on that. I'm already making yeah. plans to come out for NWA next year. So sweet. All right. Well, we uh, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Let people know how they can follow you on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and uh, get some of your tweets and stuff. Yeah, so um, I'm kind of like all on all the social media platforms, I believe. I think all the, the relevant ones, which will be irrelevant in a year or two. But uh, Twitter uh, is just Chester Lampkin, which is my first name and last name. Um, and for Facebook, it's Chester Lampkin, KSDK, I believe. Oh, no, that's wrong. Sorry. Chester Lampkin, meteorologist Chester Lampkin for Facebook. Um, and then for Instagram, it's Chester Lampkin KSTK, and so I'm on those platforms. Snapchat as well, Chester Lampkin KSTK. Um, love to hear from you guys anywhere across the country, and I think I follow a lot of weather people. If there's anyone in this group that I don't follow, let me know, and I'll follow you guys. I already I know I follow Ricky, and I follow Bobby, but I don't know about the rest of you guys, and I think I just follow the Carolina weather group, but hopefully I did. We'll, we'll check and uh, make sure. But once again, thank you yeah. so much for joining us. This has really been a cool, kind of fascinating show, you know, seeing the differences between everything. And answered a lot of my questions that I had asked our reporter when she was here about what New Zealand meteorology is like. And she's like, oh, I don't, I don't really know. So it's nice to talk to someone who's done meteorology. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is very, yeah, it's, I could talk about it for a long time. I really enjoyed um, joining you guys for sure. And I uh, wish I could stay longer, but of course, you know, the bedtime. We know right how morning now. shows go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The clock wake-up call comes early. So Yes. All righty. Well, Scotty, we'll get right. back to you and uh, wrap up everything. Yeah. We appreciate uh, Chester being on with us tonight. So uh, I guess we can uh, go around. And Shay, do you uh, – when we do Tweets of the Week, do you want to maybe talk about the tropics a little bit? I know uh, it's kind of quiet now, but we still have uh, another month left. That's right. Yeah, we do have about 30 more days. Uh, November the 30th is the last day of the hurricane season. Pretty quiet in the Atlantic right now. We continue to watch the Western Caribbean and the Southern Gulf of Mexico. Those are going to be kind of the hot spots uh, to to watch for any kind of future development. I think I heard there was a forecast from Colorado State. Someone said there might be one more storm left in the season. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But things have sort of quieted down after a record high September. 2017 October really fell off. We needed the break. I really do not want to deal with another full blown storm again. So that's uh, that's pretty much it. Come back to me for the tweet of the week. Um, I'll go around the table first, and then I'll come back and share mine. Okay, sounds good. And yeah, um, we're we're glad the tropics is, is quiet. We we've had enough of that. So uh, let's start with our tweet of the week. Anybody uh, want to start first? Jared, uh, Peter, anybody? Peter, I'm by not, the way, I got one. Peter, before we go to Jared, I want to say that we was having a little technical issue with, with, with Chester's audio, but once Peter appeared, it just cleared up magically. So thank you, <laughs> Peter. We appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. We have the help. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Jared. All hail the power of Cinnabon. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... Uh, so, uh, you know, first of all, quiet weather, boring. We haven't had rain in weeks, so, well, not, it feels like weeks. It's only been a few days, but it feels like weeks. Um, got cold, warm again. Uh, I think it's uh, November at this point. But anyway, let's talk, uh, let's talk uh, tweets of the week. And so uh, some good news out of Puerto Rico is uh, they've got radar coverage again. Um, 
some makeshift uh, TDWR-esque X-band radars uh, up and running out in Puerto Rico, uh, deployed by the DOD. Um, this will be helpful when GO-16 uh, stops sending data as it makes its drift back to the GO-Z's position uh, later this month to get it ready for operational usage. So this is what one of the X-band radars looks like. Uh, and this is what they look like in AWIPS. Not the highest resolution radars, but you know what? They're going to get the job done. And uh, as uh, they still got a long road ahead. So that's it for me, Scotty. All right, Jared, we appreciate it. Pretty fascinating. I, I had not, uh, didn't hear about that. So Yeah, and those they're going to have those available in GR3 and stuff too. So, um, so those will be available for viewing by anybody. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be nice. Cool deal. All right, uh, Peter, you got yours up? Yeah, uh, mine kind of goes off a of shade. Talking about the tropics, we were just talking about that. I think everybody's a little happy that there's only 30 days left of the hurricane season because uh, it's been a crazy one. And uh, luckily, though, the Northeast hasn't had anything come by here this year. So uh, hopefully it stays that way. But I know you guys down there in the south have been bombarded uh, most of the season, especially the Gulf and Southeast. So um, I think we're all kind of breathing a sigh of relief that it's coming to the end because it's been a very, very busy, sleepless uh, tropical season this year, and uh, hopefully next year won't be as bad. But who knows? True. Got between it. between tropics and tornado outbreaks and flooding, it's it's been a crazy fall. So I know Shay has um, has had his um, tweet of the week up. So uh, Shay, I will toss it to you. All right, Scotty. Let's see here. Let me present this to everyone here. Uh, this was um, tropical storm. Philippe, which formed in the Western Caribbean. Uh, oddly enough, we were just talking about that a minute ago, so that's always the spot to watch. It got uh, caught up along a tail end of a cold front and pulled up the cold front very quickly into the Northeast United States. A couple days ago, this was Monday, uh, where the winds really howled and they got a lot of rain. And of course, a lot of rain with a storm of that magnitude, there was lots of power outages and flooding of rivers. So here is one. I'll go ahead and hit play. I know that the uh, the feed may not be perfect, but you can see this entire house that got washed into this river in New Hampshire colliding into a bridge. Just shows you the power of how fast uh, a flood can destroy a home. Mm. Yeah. Oh goodness. Wow. Reminds me of some of the video out of uh, West Virginia a few years ago that flooding. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I've seen Shay. You, you'd probably know this more than me, but I, I believe a lot of places in the Northeast. I mean, and seen that is gone. So, uh, yeah, that um, I thought that was pretty powerful. It just sort of sends chills. Uh, you know, whenever you see something like that, you're like, oh my, you know, wow. How would you like to be in the house when it goes into the water? And then, you know, I'm sure I, I don't. Don't recall any deaths up in that area. I think there were a few injuries, but uh, you know it was a very well forecast system that was to bomb out over the northeast United States. So hopefully, hopefully that's the last of the tropical systems that we'll see. Because even though it was extra tropical by the time it reached the northeast United States, it, it went really fast up in that area, and it still causes weather in the northeast U.S. That's the only place uh, where three fronts can come together, and you have these giant upper lows moving across the Great Lakes, and it's just a combination for severe weather up in that area and that's uh our transition from fall into winter definitely so thank you for that shay let's go to eric i see that he's got his tweet. eric 
I do. And uh, yeah, this is uh, sharing a tweet and the tool that goes with it here. If you were to wear, uh, for those of you weather geeks out there, like good, good looking model data for free. Uh, we've got a, a tool that's being amplified here, I guess. Uh, a lot of us uh, know that uh, Ryan Maui left um, WeatherBell and is now with weather.us. And this is just one of the many uh, products that he's putting on weather.us or wx.graphics. Uh, and this is actually European data. He's made it available for free, uh, high res European data. So this is just a sample of uh, kind of a Mediogram style uh, product that uh, he's got available on there. Lots of good European GFS, all the ensembles uh, and building that based on uh, his experiences at uh, Weatherbell and all, of course, uh, anything that he does is uh, superb from a graphical quality as well. So be sure you check that out, uh, weather.us or wx.graphics. Yeah, Eric, I wonder how he gets that high-res Euro in there for free. That's pretty uh, interesting. Yeah, he's, he said that he was putting the bill for it. He thought it ought to be free. Pretty amazing. All right, uh, Eric, thank you for, for that. And I know, Ricky, you uh, was on Twitter a little bit earlier this weekend talking about maybe potential snow fall and maybe how those new models worked out. So did you did you get any verification from that? Uh, to be honest, I forgot to look at the that one. The one I was looking at was actually the NAM. It was just labeled as the uh, uh, what was it, the Conus model. But uh, I'll go take a look back and see how it worked out. But they're running a one kilometer Virginia domain of their model they have, kind of like a local work model. So I'm interested to see how that does. Uh, I actually just on that note was shocked at how well the NAM three does picking up northwest low snow in, in the area. I mean, it nailed Holston Mountain, Carver's Gap, Sam's Gap, Rome Mountain areas. Uh, white top pretty well. All right. Well, I will share my tweet of the week while it's up. Uh, this is out of the National Weather Service in Greenville, Spartanburg. A history being made. Uh, I can't even remember. What, what day was this? Like a couple days ago? October 27th. Uh, it was a all-female operation crew on the day shift at the National Weather Service. And you may find a few of these uh, faces familiar. Trish Palmer and uh, Lauren Bison and Cindy LeConte all there. So uh, pretty cool to have that happening here in our backyard. So uh, those ladies do a fine job and we appreciate their service. So that is my tweet of the week. And with that, Ricky, I'll toss it to you for your tweet of the week. All right. Well, we just had Halloween. I thought this was appropriate. Uh, Kaylee Nix is a broadcast meteorologist student at OU. I think she's in the class of 2018. And uh, she made this as her Halloween costume. She became an isentrope with bound air parcels because why? It's the law, she says. I think that may win nerdiest costume of the year, uh, but it's also perhaps the most awesome costume I've seen weather-wise of the year as well. So, uh, needle costume. Yeah, she stuck. She stuck that one in the uh, me this atmospheric meteorology group chat. Bunch of students, bunch of people that are going starting to broadcast. Uh, she stuck that in there, and I think it got twenty some odd likes. It was we all were rolling. Make sure I she see. joins our uh, future broadcast met group on Facebook too, and uh, that group's out there as well. So. Isentropic lift. That would make a good name for a beer, too. <laughs> One of our Mets that just graduated, he's at KU for grad school now, he was joking about get, opening a bar named Isobar. <laughs> that would be good. That I think that's good. one in, isn't there? That in Vegas or something? Maybe. I'm not even thinking of I don't care. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to a restaurant called I don't care. All right, well, Bobby, uh, we thank you for uh, being a guest panelist tonight, and we'll let you uh, share your uh, tweet of the week. Yeah, my tweet of the week, just got it pulled up here. Um, let me get it over on the right screen here. 
And I got a lot of dual screen configurations here. Hold on. Okay, well, technical problems here. Hold on. There we go. Now it should be on the line. Uh, just more Go 16 imagery. I could look at this stuff forever. You know, all this, I mean, look at this convection going on. Still don't see it. You don't see it. Well, go figure. Let's try, right. let me, let me try screen now. sharing again here. We can always go to, I think, did Jared, did you already? Hang on, I got it. I got it figured out now. I got yep. it figured out. Hold on. Screen two, share. There we there go. We, there we go. There you go. There's your Go 16 uh, visible IR combo uh, convec convection stuff over the planes. Looks like it was earlier this week. Go Can't wait for that thing to be operational. It's been a long time coming. You, wait, you mean it's not still technically? <laughs> oh. If I had a dollar for Here's every this morning. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard preliminary non-operational over the last year, I wouldn't have any student loan debt. I think the I think, uh, uh, weather service in San Juan and Miami think it's operational. Just uh, <laughs> in that one-minute mezzo sector over Puerto Rico since Maria. So yeah, I, I'd say it's uh, pretty operational by now. I think our friends at Holistic Design actually have a shirt that says operational. They do. They do. And that's a new tweet of the week too. I should have brought that up. They've got some Christmas out, uh, Christmas apparel and stuff, and it's awesome. It's like uh, they've got one. It's like baby. It's blank outside and they've got cold chili and everything they've got santa dressed up as a weatherman says 100 percent chance of weather it's fun stuff so anyway all right well chester we appreciate you i know you gotta hop off we appreciate you uh, being on with us tonight and uh, hopefully we can have you around some other time yeah i would always be keen to come on back thanks guys i really appreciate it Thank you. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, that is, uh, we'll wrap up Tweet of the Weeks with that. And uh, let me pull up the schedule right quick and let you know what's taking place in the next couple of weeks. We have, uh, actually talking about the GOES uh, 16, we have a uh, new satellite going up. We're going to be talking about the JPSS One Satellite Launch next week with Dr. Mitch Goldberg. Uh, our friend uh, John Leslie from the uh, NOAA Satellites uh, Division has set that interview up with us. Uh, on the 15th of uh, November, we have the North Carolina South Carolina State Emergency Meteorologist Show. Uh, we have uh, meteorologists from uh, National Weather Service of Columbia as well as the uh, North Carolina Emergency Management coming on. And then on the 22nd, Jamie Morrow on uh, talking weather. And then the 29th of, uh, of uh, November is to be determined. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave it suspended. Uh, suspenseful, unless, Shay, you want to go ahead and say anything. Or well, we are going to wrap up the tropics one way or the other at the end of the month, so we're, we'll either do it in-show as a as a sort of a segment, or uh, we also have Jim Cantori that may be joining us that night, so keep keep tabs on our events. If, if, you, if you're a what? fan of Jim Cantori, uh, he may be joining us on the 29th to go over the tropics. So, yeah, man, uh, keep your thumbs up, keep your, you know, your hopes up, and uh, we'll see what happens. That's right. Jim Cantori on the Carolina Weather Group, possibly November 29th. So we're excited about that. You didn't break, play the breaking news jingle. I know. <laughs> James, James, where's James? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, all right, guys, well, we're going to wrap up our show. Thank you for watching the Carolina Weather Group tonight. We appreciate you uh, 
always tuning in. Remember, if you have any suggestions, I will say this. We are booked through the rest of the year. So we're starting booking for January 2018. So if you do have any suggestions or any guests that you would like for us to uh, to bring on, let us know. Send us a message. We'll work on that. We'll uh, get our January 2018 schedule worked out quickly. I know we've got uh, already a few leads. We've already got a few weeks already booked for January. So uh, as 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 the, the weeks go on, we'll, we'll continue to book. So we always look forward to your suggestions. But in the meantime, have a great weekend. Stay safe out there. And uh, don't forget, turn your clocks back this weekend. So we will see you next week. Ew.